Blog Talk Radio. Reality Radio Entertainment presents Behind the Curtain with your host, Kathy Barrett. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a show about how we navigate down that not-so-yellow brick road of life. I'm Kathy Barrett, and life is something we shouldn't do alone. So I hope you'll spend the next 30 minutes with me as I reveal what's behind the curtain. If you open your heart to this program, you will see bits of yourself in me and every guest that is on the show as we reveal the essence of who we are. Our journey is your journey. And in sharing the process of how we created a roadmap for ourselves leading to transformation, I hope will provide you with insights and connection and a hand to hold along the way. Um, consider behind the curtain like your virtual hand to hold. So I realized I haven't been uh, revealing myself in every program. And I've been feeling very overwhelmed, so swamped with everything that's going on in my life and everything it takes uh, to put this show on from week to week. I'm kind of doing the job of several people and getting up at 5 in the morning and just plopping into bed from exhaustion at 11 o'clock at night, loving every minute of it, but still feeling frustrated that I can't, like, take it to the next level. And um, so anyway, so I'm looking for two positions to fill. Both are unpaid intern positions, one in marketing and one in creative. So if you're listening and you want to find out more information, email me at gobehindthecurtain at gmail. This is um, an opportunity for you to be of service in a way that I can uh, that can really transform the planet because I am taking this program global. It's an opportunity to be a part of something very exciting, and you would be involved from the early stages of it. My dreams, I can tell you, are ginormous. So it will certainly be an adventure, and I can promise you that. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, Hay House Radio. I love their programming and everyone involved with their organization. Louise Hay and her book, You Can Heal Your Life, changed my life. It was a huge inspiration to me when I first read it while I was struggling with my own illness. And yesterday, I'm sitting there, you know, in this panic state, and this little voice comes to me and it says, Call, you know, listen to Hay House Radio. So I turn on the program and um, I'm going, oh, my God, this is uh, Diane Ray's show. And she is such a phenomenal host and interviewer. I really admire her and um, she, because I aspire to have the level of comfort and beauty that she displays as a host and an interviewer. So she was re- uh, interviewing Lisa McCourt, who has just written a book called Juicy Joy, So to my delight, they put me on the air to ask my question. And my question was about what is stopping me from getting this, you know, show to the next level. And Lisa McCourt worked with me for a couple of minutes on the air. And what was realized was that I was holding on to a fear that if the show did take off, I would have even less time. And that kind of sent me into a panic mode. And it wasn't something that was on the surface, this thought or this feeling. It was really lingering way down in my self-conscious. So my my fear of less time was really what was preventing me from moving forward. So it rang so true for me that I had this like aha implosion. I was able to identify what was blocking me and then just remove it, you know. So then Diane says to me, Kathy, what's the name of your program? Get it out to our listeners. Well, folks, I got to tell you, I thought I was going to pass out in that moment because since I began the show, I have visualized it being on Hay House. So I was able in this moment to to get the sh- you know the show name out there to Hay House audience and talk about the show for a minute and and promote what I was doing. It was so inspiring that when I hung up the phone, I just kind of like burst into tears. I call, because I realized that I called up to solve my problem, and originally I wasn't even going to say what I was involved with. Then I realized, wait a minute, I, I'm hiding behind my own curtain. How can I not speak the truth about who I was and what I was struggling with? How could I ask my guests to show their imperfections if I wasn't showing all of mine? So 
the fact that I did reveal myself gave me an opportunity for me to live a little piece of my dream yesterday, which is to one day be a part of Hay House Radio. So I was for that brief shining moment, even if it never happens in reality. So I wanted to pass this on because I trusted my instincts and it led me to this amazing experience. I also allowed myself to be vulnerable and to be real and to kind of push aside the facade, push aside the facade you know, of this mask of perfection and just be real about it. And what it provided back to me was really so special. So listen to your instincts today and see where it all leads you. And email me, people. I want to get to know you better and hear about what's happening in your lives. Listen, I can't build a global network of support without your participation. So anyway, I'm going to move on to today's show. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the healing art of yoga, and our special guest is Megan Lee, the founder of Lalita Healing, and she's also the owner of Chichester Yoga Studio in Chichester, New York. Megan recently led her signature teaching training in Rwanda, and on the half hour, we we will be joined by Betsy Todd, who is a board member and advisor of the Yuboshi Bozi Project. Welcome, Megan. It's so great to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So, do you follow your instincts, let me ask, while we're on the conversation? Do I follow, I'm sorry, do, do I follow my instincts? Yeah, like I was sharing, you know, I'm I'm in overwhelm and all this stuff is going on, but yet I hear this little voice that kind of tells me, tune into Hay House Radio now. Do you, When you get that little voice, do you automatically respond to it, or how does that work in your life? Yes, more and more, I have to say. And the more I do it, the easier it gets for me. And I think that one of the tricks for me has been to realize that Saying yes to that still small voice makes my life easier, but it doesn't make life easier necessarily for the people around me, and that that doesn't make it wrong. It it pushes me into a place of um, feels like alignment, but it also feels very vulnerable. And what I've learned is if I have the courage to move through the initial fear, that it all works out, and it works out beyond um, my biggest dreams, but that I don't have to caretake other people along the way as I step into my power. So beautifully said. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's a uh, perfect, um, uh, really, thing to share with the audience and really important. I hope you're listening out there because that's incredible. Um, at your yoga studio, Chichester Yoga, I was there, Adam Bernstein organized, and, and you hosted this amazing day of healing for the Hurricane victims last year and i was i was mentioning to uh, this to you kind of off air that i was watching you work on people that day and i witnessed their physical transformation and you exude such a powerful um healing energy so how does one acquire a skill like that practice <laughs> it's really simple it's um it's practice and getting out of the way And I think it's a common misperception about healing work that it's um, that you can just show up and you can do it at any time. I think we all, everybody has that ability. It's, you know, we fall down and the first thing we do is put our hand on the alley. You know, it's this natural innate ability that we all have to put our hands on ourselves or other people to ease the burden. And I think the difference between um, just the mundane way that we do it and somebody who um, makes their living as a healer is the the amount of practice, the amount of fine-tuning and training, training really uh, taking time to be the student all the time as much as possible. And there also has to be an enormous amount of love because I don't think you can do what you're doing without having this compassion for people. Yeah, and I think that's something that, um, I think that's where the training and the practice is, is, comes in really handy because as you open your heart, you don't open, don't just open your heart to universal love, you open your heart to the universal suffering. And 
you, I, I need to be able to deal with that and to take care of myself and to know how to, um, to know when to retreat so that I'm operating with a full tank of gas. Mm. And you that's know, something as basic. As the bigger ideas come in and as the larger groups come in, I really have something to offer. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I know, I know to say I can't right now. But all of the, you know, what you're saying is also skills we can apply in everyday life. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It's all the same thing, absolutely. So tell us about your studio and about uh, the, the Lalita Yoga Healing Collective and all the healing modalities that you offer there. Well, Chai Tester Yoga came out of, um, when I came home from my teacher training, I was living in New York City and I started going around to different studios looking um, for places that I might want to work and I couldn't find it. I couldn't find a home base. And it, the, just places didn't, it, nothing felt right to me. It didn't feel like I, like I could do the kind of work that I wanted to do. And um, so the yoga studio evolved out of that, out of me wanting to work on my own terms and in a more organic way than I thought I could do in a larger studio um, in the city where you would, I mean, this is not every studio, but the general rule of thumb is that you're, you're teaching to, you know, 30, 40 people at a time and you have to be able to teach to the masses. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do, although I love to work with large groups, what I wanted to do was address what was happening that day and teach in a slightly more organic way and be able to use my hands on people more than I knew that I could in an urban environment. So I opened the studio here and initially stuck to the techniques pretty close to my training and eventually backed off that a little bit and have come up with um, a, a style of teaching that's definitely, it's all asana, it's pretty rigorous asana with a lot of core work and it's, it's a hot, sweaty practice, but it incorporates a lot of the hands-on work that I do on the table, as much as I can get in in a class. And it incorporates an enormous amount of talking, of, of really talking to the subconscious. Mm. And um, that, for me, is the biggest, the, the, the biggest gift. That's the part that feels the most channeled to me, because I'm talking to myself. You know, inevitably, what I'm picking up from the room is something that I need to work on. It's mm. some, someplace where I'm wounded, where I'm lacking. So the whole thing is a, is a prayer, not just for the students, but for me. There's, there's a lot of reciprocity in, in this kind of teaching, and I'm grateful for it. That's that's amazing, and that again, it's something we can all use in in our day to day lives. Is to use everyone we meet and come in contact with, whether we like them or not, as that mirror reflection. You know, to to try to uh, from the experience of being with them or picking up whatever we're picking up to kind of go back into our own lives and see where we need to make adjustment. Absolutely, and it keeps me off the pedestal. <laughs> All the, all the time, you oh, know. But it's... you have to get up there a little. <laughs> <laughs> because how else we wear your your crown? <laughs> um, I I also want to tell the uh, the listeners that Chichester is a little sleepy hamlet in the Catskill Mountains, just outside of Phoenicia, which has been called one of the best small towns in America. Now your center draws healers and creatives and all these fascinating people from all over. And people travel great distances to experience you and the and the vibe that's kind of going on in your studio. So what are you attributed to? Well, there's um, this is really the perfect healing environment. Having, I mean, outside of the studio, what I'm getting at is that it's the best healing work gets done in nature, and even better if you've got moving water and uh, snow. And trees, and so having a healing center on the creek, in the mountains, in the woods, is is, is an optimal healing environment. So I lucked out that way because when I bought the building, I didn't know I was opening a center. 
And I think that's in large part what draws people here subconsciously is that it is it's perfect for healing work. It's it's perfect. You you um, you're completely held in this environment energetically. And I think I think that really that really helps. Um, and I, for a while here, for a few years here, I had more people coming from Asia than I did from Tunisia. It was kind of a running joke. We'd have six countries downstairs at the same time, <laughs> no one locally. <laughs> That's hysterical. So um, it's a little bit of that. And then as time has gone on, there's more of a local, um, there's more local support at the studio. It's, it's a lot more balanced. Mm-hmm. And then I think the, the second piece having to do with the studio specifically is that everybody who teaches here is incredibly generous and trains all the time. It's a, it's a mix of integrity and training. So the work is deep, and I guess some people would consider it esoteric. There's some pretty esoteric modalities that go on here. Yeah. But it's from a place of, um, of understanding and training and practice, and that to me is, is really juicy, is get, getting people who can talk to you about the science of what's going on, but also are not afraid to to go into the unknown and to have things that they can't explain and to be um, completely open to whatever happens in a session or in a class. And that's what I'm trying to create here, is this mix of science and um, and the divine. You're doing a great job of it, and that's one of the reasons I need help for my show, so I can have some time to get over to your studio. <laughs> <laughs> but let me just tell people who are listening uh, to find out more about Megan Lee and all the fantastic work she's doing because you really, it's worth just driving up or getting on a bus. The bus stops in Phoenicia. You can load up at Port Authority and get on a bus, and it is so worth coming for the day because you'll probably go home feeling like you've been on vacation someplace for a week. So her website is www.lalita, just as it sounds, healingcollective.com, all one word. And um, so check out uh, the Chichester Yoga Studio and keep uh, you also have a blog on your website too so uh, people can I do and in. if you type in chichesteryoga.com or just chichesteryoga it'll it'll direct you to the site and as of probably next week Chichester Yoga will be um will be the website so if you can't remember the other site just type in Chichester Yoga and it'll come up okay or if they you know um google your name i'm sure it would come up as it'll well pop up, yeah yeah so um what drew you to Chichester what you mean to Chichester? I have been looking for um, a place to come for probably about a year, and it was the height of the market. And so I was doing all the crazy stuff everyone else was doing. I was knocking on doors saying, can I buy your house? <laughs> okay. And then, you know, eating Snickers and driving back <laughs> to the city on Sunday night, just totally exhausted. And we would get really close. And it, it was a crazy market. I would have brokers from up here saying, I'm coming to your office with a contract where you sign it and then people died and then I couldn't get the house and it it was hysterical. It was definitely a different market than it is right now. And finally I just gave up. We lost the last house and I, I just said, I give up. And um, about six months after I gave up, I, I said, I want a house on the water and I had a price in mind and it was next to nothing. And it was still the height of the market. And um, so, and I was only looking like in Woodstock and below because when you're from the city, you don't really know about anything else. Yeah. And the broker finally said, okay, there's this little place called Chichester. It's probably too far away from you, but let's go. So we drove up. I fell in love with it, and I put an offer in on the house actually that's next door to me. And then the broker pointed to the building next door and said, oh, and that's for sale too. And it was... It's this giant sort of converted factory. It's the old furniture factory. Um, And with a city eye, it looks like the loft that I would have never been able to afford in Tribeca. And um, so I was a sucker. I bought this giant falling down converted factory in the middle of nowhere, not knowing what I was getting myself into. So 
I don't know if it was divine intervention or just exhaustion, but I ended up with 4,000 square feet of open space. <laughs> I think it was divine intervention, and I can just see you expanding on that building. I really can. So Little by little. It's no longer yeah. a falling down building, which is good. No, it's quite beautiful. It really is. And um, so what led you to wanting to have a life of yoga teaching? I was an actor for 20 years, and um, probably like in the last five years of performing, I started studying with a woman who did a yoga-based performance training. Interesting. And it totally changed the way I performed. It took um, so much of the work out out of it for me. I still did my homework, but what I was finding is the more I practiced this yoga-based techniques, the easier it was to perform and the more access I had to my emotional life. And it was easy and it really transformed my body and I was less of a nervous performer. I had tremendous stage fright. And I still I still had a lot of that, but I was making leaps in my in performing in a way that I never had with anything else. And I had some knee troubles and some health issues, and things just started to, everything started to heal, and everything started to get easier Mm. on and off the mat. And I was was managing a law firm at the time on Wall Street, and I was doing a show at night, and the show just happened to be at a theater that was near my office, and it was this incredible show by um, Alpha Fugard called Statements After an Arrest under the Immorality Act. And it's a, it's a two-person play, a white man and a black woman, and they, um, they fall in love under the Immorality Act, which is in uh, South Africa, where um, whites and blacks aren't allowed to, um, to date, to be together. And the whole play is nude. But, and it's just two people under a spotlight. Wow. Before, just before and then during their arrest. And it's a, it's a heartbreaker and it's powerful and it was a real dream for me in terms of, um, it was the height of, uh, for me it was the height of performing. And so I was managing this law firm all day and then at night and on the weekends living my dream and my days were just heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And I, the emotional transition was, was too much for me. I just, something broke and I just thought I need a day job that where I can be in this kind of energy all the time or as much as possible where I didn't have this this bone crushing transition from the life that I dreamed of and then the life that I needed in order to facilitate the life that I dreamed of it was Mm -hmm. too much and um, so I decided to do a yoga teacher training with really with no I had no idea what I was getting into. I just said, oh, I'll go do a training and then I'll teach yoga and I don't have to work in an office anymore and that'll be that. And then I did hardly any research and I ended up in a training that had an energetic component. And during my training, my teacher said to me, "Um, you're a healer Mm -hmm. and you need to get your hands on as many people as possible. I had no idea what she was talking about. I was like, whatever, crazy lady. (laughs) And... You, you know, she said, you need to get your hands on as many people as possible. And um, she didn't tell me what to do or who to go study with. And she just told everyone in the training that they needed to start working with me immediately. And I just sat there kind of stunned. And, you know, I went home and went to bed. And I was like, oh, people in L.A. are weird. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> so, um, and then it evolved from there. The rest of the training for me, I would sort of slog through the asana and... Um, I did learn how to teach yoga, and I do love teaching yoga, but really what the hook for me was learning how to read energy, and I could do it. I could do it from the first day. I could, as soon as she taught me these exercises, I knew exactly what was happening in the room. I knew exactly what was happening in people's bodies, and I was in that pink beginner's cloud. of I had no judgment because I was just so totally blown away by what was what this person helped me to uncover. And it felt just as exciting as performing. Wow. And I hadn't had that 
in so long. I hadn't had, nothing had turned my head like performing did. And I never went back to performing. I finished the show. um, I finished statements after an arrest. I went and did my yoga teacher training, and I moved to the Catskills shortly thereafter. That is quite a story, Megan. Thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, my goodness. So that was it. (laughs) What's that? It was a little crazy. Yeah, but you know what's quite beautiful? A, this this teacher that was working with you that, you know, she recognized and supported and nurtured that within you to give you the confidence to turn and look at that aspect of yourself, which you were unaware of. I mean, that's the beauty of, of um, you know, being in a space where you're supported, period. Yeah. And well, where people are generous enough to say, I see this in you and you need to do something about it. It is, um, it's a huge responsibility for someone to say that, you know, it's, it, for people who listen, it, it, it sends people in, in utterly new directions. But I really do think that's the job of the healer is to have the courage to say, this is what I see without without feeling obligated to say and this is what you need to do right that is a skill all on its own isn't it (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to kill her at the time but i'm sort of grateful that that i got no instructions yeah because i mean you know it it would it would never work with getting instructions really because it's it's kind of a path you have to discover on your own yeah and lead yourself down so what's next for you and, and Chai Chester Yoga? I mean, we're going to talk about your trip in a second when Betsy Todd comes on, but yes. what are your plans to fill that big building there? Oh, God. Well, I would love to get one of the boys from Team Rwanda to come and teach some spin classes, so I'm not sure that that can happen, but that's on my list of dreamy possibilities is um, some spin classes with the um, – with the boys from the cycling team because they are amazing and deeply passionate. So that is a possibility. Um, there's more body work and cranial sacral work being done here. And we're working towards um, making it a little more, you can come and you can stay here now, but it's not quite set up as a formal retreat center. Mm-hmm. And that's the direction we're we're headed is to is for my partner and I to get completely out of the building so people can come and have a really affordable weekend and take some classes and do some hiking and um, and cook because largely the yoga community is on a pretty tight budget so the you know the bigger retreat centers and the resorts are totally out of the question and so there's a need for um, there's a need for affordable getaways that are uh, my, mindful. Mm-hmm. So that's that's on the on the list of the eighty million visions that we have for the space. <laughs> if you have any ideas, you're welcome to put them on the list. All right, I'm going to come. I'm going to come by there and see if anything pops out. But I like well, <laughs> I like everything that you're you're saying, and I I agree with you. I mean, and especially people really need a chance to get out of the city that that are not in the one percent zone, as you say, that want to get out. And it's just so healing to be in these surroundings. Um, I really love it. And uh, it does. It's very special and unique. And I don't think... I mean, for, the, for the trainings that go on here, one of the biggest, the biggest part of the feedback that I get when people come do trainings here is that they want to stay here. And um, we have been able to do that off and on and less lately, but that is the biggest feedback I get is could we just stay in the building because people want to kind of hunker down and um, fall apart a little bit or not have to get in a car and drive after a pretty intense day. So I think both for weekenders and for, for people who want to come and do a kind of intense training, it would be nice to just unpack your bags and, and not have to go anywhere. Absolutely, because there's really no need to go anywhere. You really have the perfect little spot there. I mean, you're yeah. surrounded by just, you know, glorious nature. And, um, I, you know, I can understand why people wouldn't want to leave there. I didn't want to go, and I was just there for the <laughs> I was just there for the afternoon. Um, so I see that uh, Betsy is uh, uh, with us now, and uh, so why don't we bring Betsy on? Um, 
But Betsy Todd serves on the board of the uh, Ibushi Bozi uh, project, and Betsy joined the project in 2009. Did I just mangle that? <laughs> we'll bring Betsy on. She'll tell us. Uh, she she joined the project in 2009 after a visit to Rwanda. Hi, Betsy. Oh wait, I didn't bring her in. And um, let's see if we got her. Betsy. Yes. Oh, fantastic. Hi. So thank you so much for coming to the program today. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Well, I understand you're a Brooklyn girl like myself. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I've been living in Williamsburg for about 12 years and split my time between Williamsburg and Phoenicia, which is, you know, about five or ten minutes away from Megan's. Hi, Betsy. Hi, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, okay, so you're also a musician and a performer. You've trained and performed with the Upright Citizens Brigade and People's Improv Mm -hmm. Theaters in New York City. So you also sound like uh, you follow your instincts as well. And um, Rwanda, though, is not on Condé Nast's top destinations list. So what led you to Rwanda and this project to begin with? Well, I think it... it it was actually to fulfill maybe a, a, about a 20, 20 or 22-year-old dream that I had. Um, I had seen Gorillas in the Mist, the movie, oh, when yeah. I was in high school. And I guess that was around maybe 1985 or 1986. And I just I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the gorillas. I fell in love with the country, this tiny country that I'd never even heard of and didn't even know really where it was. I just knew it was in Africa somewhere. And I just made this promise to myself that I was going to go there someday, and I wanted to see these gorillas. And it just sat in the back of my head forever. Um, and then in 94, of, co- of course, when the genocide against the Tutsi broke out in Rwanda, it was like, oh, no, there's there's this little country that I'm supposed to go to again, and it's going through absolute hell right now. And at that time, I was in college, and um, and it wasn't really i have to admit i wasn't really that tuned into worldly events i was you know a selfish college student i just wanted to go to school and work and go out play in bands and just do whatever i wanted but it kind of it really made an impression on me and then i i studied a bit about the genocide after that um then in 2009 i was turning 40 and i figured that that's what i had to do for my 40th birthday i had to just go to this country that had been calling me for forever and let me just let me just see what this is all about um and also i had been sponsoring a couple of women through the program women for women international mm-hmm. which serves women in war-torn nations and enrolls them in a vocational skills training program for a year giving them skills to uh, sustain themselves and their families and i also thought oh this would be the perfect opportunity to meet the women I had sponsored, to do the gorilla track, just do everything that I'd ever really wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so I went and I, I met the women, and it was just the most, honestly, the most powerful experience of my wow. life. And I got to gorilla track, which was another just <laughs> unbelievable experience. And through that, by accident, I. Um, happened upon a Bushabozi. I had a driver, I had hired a driver for um to take take me to the gorilla trekking and he was not the driver I had hired. He was filling in for the driver, but they never told me that. He just showed up and I was talking to him and I realized, hey, this isn't the guy I was just speaking to last night. His voice is different, his name is different. But oh my God. you know Yeah. And you yeah. think in you know, I think about in New York, would you get in the car with someone that you didn't know, you know, just a stranger who shows up and says, oh, yeah, I'm taking over for Jean Bosco. You know, here you right. wouldn't do that. But there I was like, okay, I'll do it. So I just ended up talking with him, and he had been working as the project manager for Bushabozi at that time, and he suggested that I go and visit it. Um, he said his bosses were visiting, and they were two crazy American women, and he said, you'll love them. <laughs> and uh, the, t- the two ladies... Uh, Jean Ciparin and Marcy Bright, they were visiting at the time, and they, they're from way, way upstate New York on the Canadian border. Mm-hmm. And I really clicked with them. Um, they, then they invited me the next day to come and visit the project, and then that was just the day that pretty much changed my life. 
I just fell in love with the girls. I fell in love with the project, with what they were doing. And it was just at a time in my life when I was really looking for just a, a project to get involved in and and really feel like my ideas and my voice would be heard. And this was just, it was just absolutely perfect for me. And I offered to volunteer for Jean when I got back to the States. And I think she didn't really think I was serious at the time because I'm sure she's heard it a million times right. before. Oh, I'd love to help. I'd love to help. But um, I know a lot of artists and graphic designers, and I kind of roped a lot of friends into uh, designing a logo, doing the website for us, and and I've just been really involved a lot in the marketing and advertising for Abushibozi and volunteer relations and stuff like that. And it's just been absolutely incredible, and I've just been talking a blue streak to Megan for the past couple of years about it. <laughs> well, let's, let's stop for a second, Betsy, and let's tell the listeners what the project is about. Uh, Abushibozi is a, it's a small vocational skills training. It's, it's similar to uh, to Women for Women, except there is no individual um, sponsorship of the of the students. We have ten girls. We focus on orphaned or uh, head of house or head of household teenagers. Um, most of our girls have one parent households. Um, they are, none of them have surviving fathers. They have either been killed in, in post-genocide conflicts or they died of illness. And I'd say maybe maybe half of them have a surviving mother, um, but all were living in desperate poverty and unable to continue their educations due to uh, lack of fees. Because primary school is free in Rwanda, but secondary school is boarding school. And while the actual education is free, you must pay for your board, essentially, and, and materials and uniform and, and school, uh, sneakers, rather, things like that. Right. And no one can afford that. They mm-hmm. just they simply can't. So their education generally stops at maybe the fifth or sixth grade level. And and is that what's the criteria for getting into your program? Do you take them in at that point, or how does that work? Yes. Um, we, we tend to have uh, people that are recommended to us from either other girls that are already in the program or some of our staff members will know a, a, a girl in their community and they'll suggest them. But we, think, we think it's just the best way to go is to have the participants themselves choose the next round of participants. It just seems, <clears throat> it just seems the, most, the, the fairest way to go because they really know, they know how much the, prob, uh, the program has helped them and it's easy for them to to want to pass that on to someone that they may know too. Mm, that's interesting. So they're kind of you're creating this experience for them and they're paying it forward in a sense. Yeah. The mm. last two students we took on were in la- uh August of 2011 and we asked our um English and general studies teacher and then one of our older students we said we're looking for two other girls. We we have the means to take on two new students. So let us know what you think. And they brought two girls the very next day. And they actually are the youngest girls in our program. They're only about 13, maybe they're 14 at this point. Um, one was not in school. Uh, she lives with her older sister and the sister's husband, and they simply cannot afford school for her, and she had no training at all. And the other girl was working as a maid for um, a pretty well-off London family who um, the husband runs a, a plantation, and this woman allowed her to come um, to come and, ed- and get an education through Abushibozi and still work part time for her, which I thought was a really, really generous and kind thing to do because otherwise, you know, she would this girl Lisa would be out of a job and potentially out of a home. But right, she would lose the opportunity. Yep. And, but this woman saw that it was really the right thing to do is allow this girl to get some other kind of education, too. That's wonderful. Now, what kind of skills do you bring to the girls? Uh, primarily, we teach sewing. Um, they are, they're, pretty, they're pretty close to being, you know, really, really skilled professional seamstresses. But we also teach uh, weaving, which ca- came to us a almost by accident um we did accept another student that a 
couple of volunteer nurses had brought to us and asked if we could take her. She was living in pretty desperate, a pretty desperate situation, and she had a young baby, and just it, it was just kind of a you know real horror story. So we agreed to take her on, um, but she has a disability. She has one leg, and it was very painful for her to work the sewing machine with her with her remaining leg. Mm-hmm. So we didn't we didn't know that until we had taken her on, and we certainly couldn't you know let her go after that. So right. we came up with like, okay, what can we do for her where she doesn't use the sewing machine? And someone suggested she become a weaver. So then we asked our uh, another one of the staff members, okay, we'll try this. We need a weaving teacher. Go out, find us a weaving teacher. <laughs> and the very next day, she brought a friend of hers, and this amazing woman, Selmy, showed up. And she's just a master weaver. She's incredible. And Margaret was her first student. And now I think there are, we have about three or four of the students have really excelled at weaving. So we've got the sewing division and the weaving division. Isn't that amazing how you think, uh-oh, you know, here's a problem. And yet, you know, it's not a problem. It just leads you to this other place it's actually improved right. on what they're doing and now they have more products. So let's talk about what kind of products you produce out there and where they're sold. Can we purchase them here in the States? Um, we're in the midst of revising our website and we hope mm-hmm. to have an e-commerce um, option. So tell we'll the folks what your up. your website is while we're on it. Oh, it's abushabozi.org, which is U-B-U-S-H-O B-O-Z-I dot org. And currently the girls make all types of uh, shoulder bags, weekend bags, makeup bags, and uh, the weaving, they make baskets, fruit rolls. They're really, they're functional, and they're also really beautiful wall decorations, too. Mm. So, Megan, now how did you two meet? How did you meet Betsy? Uh, Betsy was um, Betsy was one of my first private clients when I opened up here, ah. and um, so we worked together up here, and then a little bit more. In um, my partner and I were also living part time in Brooklyn in the beginning, so we would work midweek together in Brooklyn, and then on the weekends up here, and then we became friends. Um, over the years, and when Betsy, when Betsy told me she was going to Rwanda, I was just totally jealous, and I was like, "That's weird. I'm jealous that <laughs> she's going to Rwanda in July, the nice month in the Catskills, like our four weeks of summer." And so I got really curious about that. Because usually, when I'm jealous, there's some thing that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started talking about having the girls make yoga mat bags. So Betsy talked to them about it, and they thought I was really weird and nuts, and they made really funny YouTube videos making fun of Americans going to yoga class. <laughs> and then they made me some yoga mat bags, which are they're so beautiful. Oh, they so must I, be. a couple of years ago, started selling their bags in the yoga studio. And then I was kind of waiting for the right time to go. I didn't think yoga was that important in in that culture. So sort of waiting for the, well, what would I do when I get there? And, um, it, what, you know, what's the, when's the right time to go and what would I do when I get there? And um, I'm not a good first teacher. I didn't, I'm not very evangelical even about yoga or healing work. I really feel like um, there are other people who are better at getting people on the mat for the first time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I wanted to do was was do something, help them with something that they already liked doing, to sort of meet them on their own terms. And there was a woman there recently who was um, working for the Diane Fossey Foundation, and she was teaching, coming over to the project, to Bushabozi, and teaching yoga at the project on the side. And they, the girls flipped out over it. And um, other people started coming over and taking the classes, and it just really caught on. So I was like, well, that's my in. I don't have to be the, um, you know, the evangelical yoga teacher coming over to 
say how yoga is going to change your life. I just thought it was really condescending. It wasn't, it wasn't what I was going to do. So as soon as they were hooked, mm. I was like, that's it. I'm going and I'm going to go teach them how to teach so they don't have to wait for tourists anymore. Because everybody leaves Rwanda, the grant money runs out, and everybody goes home and to yeah. get more money, and then maybe they come back and maybe they don't. So there's a lot of inconsistency in the extracurricular things that happen in Rwanda. Um, so I decided to do the training, and I had absolutely no money, so I just said, well, let me see if my students will send me, and I had most of the money in an hour. Wow. And so within two weeks, I bought a plane ticket, and that's all I had money for was a plane ticket. I had no idea I was going to pay for the hotel or spending money or any of that. And by the time I left, I had almost enough money for the whole thing. I had, then I had some, some of my own money and some support from family and things like that. Um, but we did uh, a 10-day training, and some of the boys from Team Rwanda came over because they were – looking for ways to transition some of their older riders into, um, they have a position called uh, a soignee, who's the support to the team, who does the massage and the yoga. And, um, Let's just back the, up back up a second to um, tell the listeners about uh, Team Rwanda. And team just Rwanda is the national cycling team of Rwanda, and they're in the same village as the Bushabozi Project. And just to back up, right before I left, Betsy was like, you know, you're crazy, you need to make some money. I just found this posting on this expat website. This group is looking for a yoga teacher. Um, why don't you see if there's some paying work for you in Rwanda when you go over? And there, there's no paying work in Rwanda. So, <laughs> so before I left, I was in the parking lot of like Target in Kingston having a conversation with one of the uh, one of the Team Rwanda fundraisers who's based in in the states talking about the schedule when I'm there and they needed a teacher for six o'clock in the evening and so in the in the Target parking lot I had booked um, teaching in the evenings at Team Rwanda and training the Abushabozi girls during the day. And then one of the one of the guys from Team Rwanda wanted to do the training. So he came over and did the training during the day. One of the guys, uh, Obed who was um, he's in a transition into more of a support role for the team. And um, and then Team Rwanda ended up hiring Faustin, one of the guys who did my training. So Faustin had a job before I left. And so there's this sort of simpatico happening between Team Rwanda and a Bushabozi project. Um, so that's, that's kind of a nuts and bolts of it. It was all um, on crackly cell phone conversations um, and then it just took on a life of its own. And I, I walked in the second day of the training at a Bushabozi project, and they were teaching. I wow. never taught after day two. I never taught uh, any more yoga classes. It was they are by far the most advanced group of trainees I've ever had. And they um, and it was taught with a translator. So and they understood really complex uh, concepts even through translation. So it was this really it was just this really magical fit. We liked each other and they wanted to learn this work. And um and there's a need for teachers there. There's no yoga there. So what I guess I should say this out loud. What I'm gonna do is go back in November and help them open a studio. Oh my God. That That's my is intention. It's to go it's to go Go in November, and they're, you know, the people involved with the project, they, they have a job, they have, it's not about taking people out of the project and giving them another project, it's totally extracurricular, and, um, you know, teaching them about business and teaching them about how to be a professional yoga teacher. That is and, really inspirational, and, and I have I to say. I give them new ways to connect to the community. Mm-hmm. Really inspirational. Both of you women have just done an extraordinary job and the energy that you put out there um you know it's just extraordinary what you accomplished Are, did you film any of this yeah fantastic so when's yeah. the documentary coming out <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that's and that's my that's my screening? next mission <laughs> i'm sorry yeah is recruiting some of my filmmaker friends i'm trying to trying to get a couple to come uh this summer in july 
and do a lot of filming because there's just it's just I, I, I do have to say it's just Abushabozi I, I really believe is one of the happiest places on earth and we hear that over and over from Rwandans themselves and that's that's, you know, the real seal of approval. When you have tourists come in and say, wow, I've never seen anything like this, it's so amazing, it's great, that feels great too. But when the local Rwandans, the tour guides who bring who bring tourists to come and visit us say, this is a very special project and we, we've never seen anything like it. And it's not so much that we're doing something so out of the ordinary, we're doing, you know, what a lot of projects are doing is giving girls vocational skills training. But I think we have just created a very safe and nurturing environment for these girls to feel free to do as they choose, to act the way they choose, to build the project, to grow it as they choose. We basically provide very minimal guidance because we, it's not our project. It belongs to the Rwandans. So we really only step in when um, there are areas that they really have no experience with but it's it's pretty much a democracy, you know. Like I mentioned earlier about the weaving, that was up to them to figure out. It wasn't we we didn't tell them. Okay, now we'll have a weaving division. It's just like okay, what what do you guys think we should do about this? All right, let's have a weaving division. Okay, then you go out and find the teacher. It's a, go go choose a woman that you know who is a master weaver and who could really use the extra income. And it turned out. This woman's incredible, and she's got nine children to support. So we feel really good about employing women like that who are just really hungry to learn, hungry to work, and hungry to have the community that we've created within Abushabozi. It's very inspiring, and I'm so glad to hear that you've made a film about it because I think what you guys you know, are sharing on today on the show today is so important to put out there as a model, especially in this country where, you know, I mean, material things are just, it's crazy how people are just, you know, our humanity, what, you know, really, where are we? What are we thinking about? Where has our sanity gone that, you know, there would be, you know, 20,000 people lined up to get, that can't afford to, and are lined up to get a pair of $200 sneakers in some shopping mall in the Midwest. It's like, you know, we really need to, in order to move forward, all of us together, um, to kind of shift and change what's happening on the planet today, we have to start looking, you know, going backwards, I think, in order to go forwards. So what you created here is really a powerful, powerful model, and um Keep me posted on that because I would really love to see that up and and uh, and shown to people, you know, in films, uh, in theaters. To, I just wanted to mention quickly to Megan. She does not even know this, but um, she had printed out certificates for each of the girls who participated in the training, as well as the staff members, and um, you know, a certificate of completion of however many hours. Um, they completed, some of them were 60 hours, some of them were 80 of 200 hours, and everyone got one, and we sent them with a volunteer this week, and I was just told by our translator, Sharon, that the certificates were given out today, and she said the girls freaked out when they got them. (laughs) She said they were screaming, they were screaming and jumping up and down, and they were so proud, and like you were saying, you know, that this isn't we didn't give them a, a new car <laughs> you know this is a right. this is a piece of paper that they mm-hmm. earned and it meant so much to them and i i'm just i those are the types of things that i get sad about that i'm i can only go once a year cuz i'd love to see these things unfold you know see them before my my very eyes but i hear about it through the translator and i can just picture the joy that these that everyone must have felt when they saw their name on this Chichester yoga certificate well, I want to also put out there, Betsy, will the girls be, do they have internet? I mean, do they? They do. Oh, yeah, we we Skype all the time. Um, and they we email daily, but we, now, we will Skype they be all able, once a week. Oh, I'm sorry. Will they be able to uh, listen to the radio, radio broadcast today? I believe so. Um, and, and you archive, your programs are archived, yeah. right? They are archived. Yeah, then, then they should definitely be able to do so. Because I really want to take this program uh, global. And uh, so it's exciting to me. And also, the next time you're there, let's think about doing a program uh, live. Oh, my God. That oh, would be so wow. Much fun. Oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah. 
that would be not lying when she says it's the happiest place on earth. I mean, really, it sounds trite, but I got so much more than I gave. It really is. um, There's no dogma being taught. There's no religious undercurrent. It's like this clean, joyous um, energy infused, like a little vortex of its own. I mean, these the girls and the guys there are just on fire. They are just they are so hungry for information, but also so happy in the day to day, and their lives are incredibly hard. I mean, they walk two hours to get to the project in high heels sometimes, and they walk two hours home, and they are just, um, they're happy. Wow. And so you may need earplugs if you do a live show from there. It is um, it is disco loud at a Bushabozi project at all times. Final reaction is completely different in Rwanda than it is in New York. <laughs> so I hear there's yeah. a lot of music it, and dancing going on. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. Dance part when last last summer we had we would have a dance party at the end of every day and it would just be hilarious to see like, you know, these girls dancing to Blondie and and anything else I was pulling out from my iPod. But yeah, it, they dance pretty much every day. Well, I can use to learn to, uh, some new moves myself, so maybe I'll have to take a trip. <laughs> with well, I got and... I got relegated to drumming, so I think that tells you about my moves. <laughs> so we we have a, just a few minutes left. Oh my God, I've so enjoyed being with the both of you today. So let me, me just too. ask Thank you, you. Uh, Betsy. You know what's what's what do you hope to accomplish long term with this organization? Um, I hope that it's not necessary, mm. however many years down the road. This is like the type of biz- this is the type of business that you want to go out of business. You know, I hope I hope we can serve as many girls as we can and in the way we're doing it now with with a small you know, a small group because we're we're accountable for these people and we don't want to grow too fast, we don't want to get in over our heads. If there's a financial crisis, you know we we've got to take that on. This is people's livelihoods we're we're uh, in charge of, and we take that really seriously. But I I would love to see these girls move on to open their own businesses, to work at the yoga studio, to do um, private sewing, just to do whatever they want to do. That's great, and, and to just continue to carry the joy that they have right now. Because if they if they if they live the life as you know this joy filled life for years to come, it, it will just be a magical life for them, no matter how successful they might be. That's really beautiful. And please tell them to listen and email me because I want to keep posted on everything that they're doing there. You have me totally interested in this now, and and uh, just I really want to thank you both. Um, you're just inspiring guests. Megan Lee of the Chai Chester Yoga Studio and Betsy Todd of the Uboshi Bozi Project. If you are in the Hudson Valley, check out Megan's studio. You won't be disappointed. Once you step foot in this studio, the Chai Chester Studio, mm-hmm. you will be embraced by the magic that's there. You won't want to leave, as we were discussing earlier. The vibrational energy is so healing. It's a little oasis in the middle of the mountains. That's lalitahealing.com. Betsy Todd, you are making a huge difference in the lives of these women in Rwanda. And uh, think about the great work that this project is doing, and you can find out more about Betsy and the Oboshibozi Project by going to ubushobozi.org. Donate your time, your money, get in touch with them, see how you can make a difference in another person's life. Thank you both for bringing your light and beauty to my program and sharing yourselves with my listeners. Thank you so much for having us. Thank Thank you, you, girl. Thank you so much, Kathy. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. And next week, poet and word master, Siku Andros will be our guest. Does not inspire you with his story. He inspires you with your story. He's an award-winning and internationally acclaimed spoken word artist. And Siku has mastered the art of creating original dialogue masterpieces for the biggest Fortune 500 companies and celebrities like Quincy Jones and Maya Angelou and Oprah. I witnessed his performance a few months ago, and I was bedazzled by his amazing talent and spirit. If you want to be lifted to higher ground, be sure to mark Mark your calendars and tune in next week to see him. 
This is Kathy Barrett sending you a virtual hug from behind the curtain. So great to have you along on this journey with me. I'll be back next week, and I hope you'll tune in. Peace. 